in Philippians chapter 1, and I'm going to read from 21 through 30 in the area we want, we want to be, be looking at this morning and letting God speak to each one of us as his children. Paul is writing, again, you remember, he's writing from prison, and if you remember, Timothy was accompanying him in this writing, in his introduction, and he says, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ that is very much better Yet to remain in, on in the flesh is much is more, more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and, to, and that too from God." For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe on him, in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. We've already looked at how Philippians is a book that really has some amazing, uh, powerful verses that we hang on to, we might call them classical verses, lifeline verses, verses that just catch us and hold us and just encourage us at special times. And one of these verses we enter into today when the apostle begins and he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now there's a lot of ways you can pronounce that. In different languages, the enunciation of a word has so much to do with the effect of the passage the context, and you could, we could do it like this. Paul could say, for me, to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Or we could say, well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I want you to follow it a little bit like this this morning because you're going to pick this up in the context that surrounds the verse when Paul, writing from prison to a young, planted church, very small but growing in the Lord, starting to get their strength, suffering in amazing ways when Paul says, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, the purpose and existence of my life is Jesus. I am here for one reason, Jesus. My purpose is Christ. My end is gain. And as you follow this, we're going to see Paul explaining what he would call a spiritual conflict in his heart that everyone here who walks in the Lord Jesus can identify with in some level at some time in our life. And if we look on here for just a moment, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain, for if I am to live on in the flesh, and notice this, Paul is in prison when he's saying this, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do, no, do not know which to choose. And Paul's saying, I don't know. Because on one side, it's Christ. And on the other side, it's gain. Do you get the mathematics of what Paul is saying? You win either way. With Christ, you win. If you die, you win. If you live in Christ, you win. If I live with Christ, I live, I win, I win, but really, he wins. Because as I win, he wins. 
Now I put up here, we have up here on, in front of you, we have a, a rose. Does anyone know what kind of a rose that is? Two of them side by side. That is a double delight rose. It's beautiful. If you notice, you see the, the outside of the rose is red. And the interior is that, that beautiful blush of white and yellow. But as you look at the outside of that rose, and you look at that picture for just a moment, and we think of the verse, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul is saying, the Christian's life is a double delight. You win here, you win there. You triumph here through Christ in you, and when you go out of here, he wins, you go home, and you see Jesus face to face. But you know, I appreciate, I have a dear brother here on Saturday nights often that writes me something after the message, and, and something that he wrote this morning on Facebook to me. He said, when you look at that rose, and bring, bring the rose back up again, I just want us to get this. When you look at the rose, look at the outside of the rose. It's the red. What does red signify? Sin and blood. Think of the blood of Jesus is what he said, is what gives us the power. Look inside the rose. You see white. He said that speaks to me of transformation, of redemption, of cleansing. And you look at this and what Paul is, he's coming He's in prison. He's in a really bad spot. Things aren't going well for Paul from natural perspectives as he is beginning to write here, even throughout this entire epistle, but it says, for, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Either side of this, God wins, I win. What he's saying is a Christian, you can't lose. There's no losing part of the equation as a Christian, if you have the presence of Christ, the power of Christ, and you're left, you win. It's the abundant life that Jesus even spoke of in John 10, 10, that he came to give, that we would have life and have it more abundantly. And I think about the, if you die, you gain. You, you see him face to face. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 he was someone that just kept shouting this message again and again. We're going home. There's something so much better. No. Notice this. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He's saying we've got so much more waiting, for indeed in this house we groan. This is our natural house, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from, he from heaven. And can you see Paul's heart just saying, I want to go home. I can't wait till God just opens the gates and says, come on in, my child. I really want to go home. But as, you, as we follow this a little further, we're going to notice with Paul, and it's going to come closer to us, that there is within him this pull. It's this conflict even. Now he defines a conflict in Romans chapter seven, which was the conflict of flesh warring against spirit. He's not speaking of this now. He is in the spirit seeing this pull that's just pulling him to die, to be with Christ. It's so wonderful. But to be here with you is gain. And as we follow him, we're going to see this beautiful perspective that he gives on Christian service and just living for Christ. Now, there's another verse I want you to look at because it parallels and mirrors this somewhat in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 12. Paul says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Now Paul says something really special here. Notice the conflict. You know, you would think, well, when Paul got to prison, it was probably really tough. And I'm guessing in some ways it was tough. But I'm guessing that when Paul wasn't in prison and he was on the streets ministering the gospel, it was no less tough. He had opposition everywhere. There was, there was struggles, trials, testings, hardships, within, without. Everywhere Paul turned, there was a war going on. It was for the battle of souls, and Paul comes to this place, and he simply says this, but I want to tell you this, I want it to go down on record for me to live, is Christ. The purpose of my existence, the great strength that will carry me through, that allow me to rejoice in the prison that I am in right now, is Christ. But I know when I go out of here, it's gain. And we'll see a conflict that Paul faces here as we as we study this together, you'll see that Paul will speak options and you will think, well, hold it. He's in prison. He can't walk out the doors. He can't go to church. He probably doesn't even have a Bible. Probably if he gets it, they go after him. But, but let's look at this together because we will sense something within Paul's heart of spiritual Maybe we can call it struggle. Maybe we can call it tension that he could choose this way. He could choose that way. But he is going to choose a way that's amazing as he's writing to this church. In verse 23, he says, but I am hard pressed from both directions. I've got this struggle going both sides, having the desire to depart and be with Christ. He's saying, I want to get out of here. When I get out of here, there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, like the word says. There'll be no more famine. There'll be nothing. I want to get out. But notice what Paul says, for that is very much better. When I go home, when God opens the door, when he says, come on in, there's nothing that equals it. But Paul wasn't done with the teaching here. Yet, verse 24, to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Notice where Paul took this. He's in prison. He's suffering for his, he's suffering because he said yes to God. They put him in prison. And he says, for me to stay on in the flesh is to bless you. I am choosing an unselfish act to bless you, the church of Philippi. And you say, hold it. You're going to see that he thought he'd get to Philippi. But you say, hold it. How can he bless Philippi? He can't preach there anymore. And then I begin to think, what is Paul doing in that, prayer, in that prison? He's praying. Those prayers are going 800 miles to, to a Philippian church, if that's how many miles it need to carry. Those prayers were connecting. He was blessing even in spite of the walls that surrounded him within the prison. Oftentimes, God's blessings move in the most amazing ways. We might see a limitation. God doesn't see the same limitation. Prayer just moves in amazing ways. And Paul here was just speaking of some options that was with him. Notice this, convinced of this, I know, verse 25 that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And Paul says, I'm going to stay. Now, one of the things interesting about this is Paul probably only had a couple years to live. He was only in prison several years. At the end of his life, he never got back out there. He was gone. But Paul said, I just know that I'm going to stay on and remain and continue with you all for your progress and for your joy. Notice where Paul's focus is. It's not, let, let me share some testimonies about how God's working my life in prison. His focus is all for you, for your sake, for you. I'm going to stay on for you. I want to be there for you. I want to see you prosper.
let's keep looking at this. Paul says, I'm gonna, I, want, I want to remain and continue with you all for your progress in joining the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. You notice where he's going? He says, I'm going to come back and see you. He's not going to get back there. But you see his vision? I'm going to come back to Philippi. We're going to hang out together. We're going to have meals together. I'll teach the word. We'll have fellowship. And God will say, no, you'll never get there, Paul, again. You won't walk through the doors of the Philippian church again. But hold it. His heart would walk through the doors of the Philippian church. His spirit through prayer would connect the two churches. You see, God has no limitation with walls or barriers in fellowship. And Paul was recognizing this, but there's another part of it. When he says, but there's a part of this other option that when I depart and I'm with Christ, it's far better. Paul is speaking about the time when I see you, Lord, face to face, it's gonna be wonderful, but you know what else is gonna happen? I've got a lot of great fellowship I'm gonna enjoy. Can you see Paul in eternity sitting down at the church of Philippi and just simply saying, let's talk about what it was like from the day I left. We've got a million years to talk about it. We're in here for eternity. And here was Paul sharing his heart. But I want us to notice that with his heart, it was because of them. You, others. You know that little phrase we've heard so many times, but it is so easy to forget. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And what Paul is saying here is the passion of my heart is driving me to think of you. And because of it, if I had the choice, I'm going to exercise the option to stay here. You see, the day would come that that option would be exercised for Paul. The Roman soldiers would walk in, they'd pick up the guy, they'd take him out to the execution block, and it'd be all over. But as long as he was there, he said, I'm going to be there for you. And this is alive Christianity. When God takes me out of the equation and we begin to think of him, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, but then it's for you. And this is where Paul was as he's opening the word of God. You know, when you think about it, Paul didn't have a lot of choices, did he, in prison? The walls were tight. Some people say it was at this time Paul was under house arrest as he wrote this epistle. I don't know for sure. Two years he dwelled in his own hired house. So for two years there was some type of a situation where Paul was still chained to guards. There were still restrictions in his life, but he was under arrest. And here Paul is saying, but hold it. I am thinking of you and I will exercise the option for you. You know, in many ways, life is just full of options. It was no different for Paul. I would guess there were people by this time in his life that said Paul would have never had to go to prison. If he would have just been quiet and been a normal Christian, he would have never got locked up. But because Paul said yes to Jesus, when Jesus said speak, and when Jesus said go, he ended up in a Roman prison where he would eventually be executed for his life. But here Paul was saying, but see, I want you to understand, the reason I'm here is not because of me, Paul, because, but because of him, Christ. But there's another reason I'm here, Paul, saying, writing the letter, it's because of you. You see, sometimes... We have friends right now that I cannot touch in India, other places in the world, but I can write a letter, and this is what Paul's going to do. There's places you can't touch. But when our heart turns toward you and them and others, God moves right over the top of the walls, and he begins to bless in amazing and powerful ways. You know, you think about, what can you do if you were in prison? Because we aren't in prison, but God still blessedly, secretly whispers limitations in our lives as Christians that we know we have. It could be physical. It could be social. It could be, it could be a handicap. It could be something to family. It could be all kinds of things. It could be with our government. 
our roots. But Paul still said, but I'm going to stay because of you, and I'm going to bless you from this prison cell. And I just jotted down something that, a couple things here. There's what, what, what could we do? What, what could we do? We can always pray. Always pray. Prayer is so powerful. We grab it often as a last resort. When Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I would that first of all you pray. We can always love. It was Paul that said, above all these things, put charity on the top of everything you do because it is a bond of perfection. We can always, by God's grace, forgive. We can release others into the hands of God and not try to hold them captive to us. And as we do, someone is being blessed. And we can always be kind by God's grace. The option is there. And Paul is saying, what I'm doing in prison, I'm exercising the option for your sake to bless, to help, to strengthen. You know, everyone has a, a little different memory, but if you would ask me to tell you the memory of Alaska Airlines 1B, I would know exactly where to take you in my career. It's the front row of an Alaska Airlines plane. B is the aisle. And one day about 10 years ago, I walked in the plane with my son. We'd been upgraded to first class. He had 1A, I had 1B. I had the ticket. I walk to, in the front, the first as you come in the door, that's the seat. And a gentleman stood, sat there and I said, sir, I believe that's my seat, 1B. He says, no, I always sit on 1B on this plane. And I said, could I see your ticket? He goes, I don't have to get my ticket. Because I always sit at 1B. Always 1B. And here I am in the aisle, and I, there's a gentleman sitting in 1C. And the stewardess comes up, and she says, what are you doing? I says, well, this is my ticket. She says, sure, produce your ticket. And he says, I don't have to. I fly you all the time and I am in, going to be in 1B. So 1D was open. She said, sir, go stand, sit in 1D a little bit, and I'll take care of this. I said, no, I'm glad to take 1D. She said, no, if yours says 1B, I will handle 1, 1B later. So she brought a, a cup of water, and the plane loaded up, and then she walked up and says, now I want your ticket, sir. And he says, I don't have to produce my ticket. I fly with you all the time. She says, you'll either produce your ticket, or you'll be taken off this plane. So he produced his ticket, and his ticket happened to be 1D. So he was over my, says, no problem. She says, no. This time, because of what is happening, you're going to 1B, he's going to 1D. <laughs> and I had this glass of water, and it was kind of tight, and I had a big gentleman beside me, and I got up, and I spilled the water, and we were going around, and the gentleman kind of elbowed me, and... Uh, the stewardess says, sir, I'll take care of the water. He says, no, I'll take care of the water. Just give me a rag. So I sit down in 1B. She, he sits down in 1D. He takes the rag, he wipes it, and there's my son by the wall, and he takes the thing, stands up, and throws it as hard as he can at me. Now you have a lot of options, don't you? <laughs> he was smaller than me. And I thought, this just doesn't seem right. But I was on the receiving side of some very strong aggression from a gentleman that was having a really, really bad day. You see, when I had the ticket, you know, some things we can choose to do and other things just come in front of us to choose. Sometimes we're born at a certain place we have a certain family we came from. We have certain parts of our life and our connections. And then other places, God says, choose the response. You can choose this. You can go after that guy. And in fact, 1B in the aisle, I thought, when we get off the plane, what's going to happen? And I'll tell you what happened. He jumped up four hours later. I think we came out of Chicago. He jumped out, and he elbowed in front of me and got in front of me and walked out of the plane. I thought, the guy's having a really bad day. It's a really bad day. But that's our choice too. Maybe not something so graphic and dramatic, but it's still our choice. The choice to
to choose to bless, the choice to choose to love, the choice to, that it is about someone else. I will choose not to defend myself, rather let God be the defender. I will choose to love an unlovable person. And when Paul says, I want to stay on for you, what he is saying is because in my heart, in the depth of my heart, I want to see you blessed. Really, when you get down to what a Christian's heart should really re represent, it should be a desire that people are blessed. Seeing the kingdom of God wherever they are. Now, there's a verse I want you to look at with me on the screen from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 through 27. And this speaks of Moses. And as we enter the first verse, we're going to see what God chose for Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses was born and hidden. That had nothing to do with him. He was a beautiful child. It had nothing to do with Moses. God made Moses. God placed Moses in the bulrush and protected him. But now let's look in verse 24 and 25, 26, 27 about what Moses chose as a result of what God chose for Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment for the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. You see, God chose for Moses a certain life, a very unique life, but in that life, Moses began to choose God's way. And as he chose God's way, it affected many more choices of his life. Paul was where he was at at this time in a in this Roman prison because he had chosen God's way. He had been brought up at the feet of a Gamal. He was a Roman citizen. He had all of the pedigree and degrees that a person could ever want. But when it came time to choose, Paul said, I want God's way. I don't want my way. And God's way will always be a path of blessing. We will see this as we, we keep looking. Let's go back very quickly and, and recap this before we jump into the last part of this this text this morning. Notice that he was pulled two ways, both directions, but notice in verse 21, the purpose of my existence is to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm, it's a double delight. It's a beautiful walk, regardless of which way I go. I am hard pressed from both directions. Now, choosing God's way is not easy. I have a desire to part, be with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. You see what he's saying? I see you. I want to bless you. I will stay in my flesh if God gives me the strength. And it, look, look how far it goes. His heart was toward them. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, continue with you all for your progress in joy and the faith so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. And here is Paul writing from Rome in a very, very less than ideal situation. And he's saying, I just want to bless you in this prison. Where I'm at today, I want to bless you, he's saying. I want to strengthen you. I want you to see Jesus. But now you look at this, and the church of Philippi is reading this, saying, wow, look at this. And so Paul says, I've been speaking to myself. Now I want you to take it in and see what I'm asking of you, the church of Philippi. And the last part of this, this writing this morning is what he's telling the church of Philippi. The Philippian church that I, had, I came and shared the gospel with, I brought you to Jesus, I baptized many of you. Now I have a little appeal for you. And I love that about the word, because you can pick up the Bible and you can start reading it and say, you know, 
that's really for the other guy. I'm sure glad he's here today. I'm, I'm glad that guy is here. Uh, I wish that other person could have been here because if they could have been here, they would have got what that guy's been saying up there. But when you keep reading the Bible, the Bible turns around and it comes back to all of us. It's an amazing way. God doesn't leave anyone unscathed. He just simply reaches out and he touches a, a different place. And as he comes to this, the end of this text this morning, he says to this dear church, he says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You're a wonderful church. You've just heard the gospel a few years. Your lives have been changed. Now let Jesus live within you. Make the choice for Jesus when the option is there. I don't know how many of you have read the book uh, many, many years ago. I read Charles Sheldon's book, What Would Jesus Do? And I, I just remember reading that, and, and just an amazing story, just written in allegorical form, just what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And now Paul is saying, okay, now, I've been telling you what God's telling me to do from prison. Now I'm going to tell you what he's telling me to tell you as a church as you are responding. You don't know it. You're not going to see me again. I left Philippi for the last time. I ain't coming back. But now I want you to do something in the church that I'm calling you to do. And here is what he says. I want you to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, either way, I will hear of you. But notice where he's going. I'm still at you. I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the face of the gospel. And Paul says, when I come and see you wherever, when I hear about it, I want to know of one thing. You are one in Christ. You are one with Christ and one together in Christ. You know, Jesus broke, broke down and made some things really simple on the word of God, and all of a sudden, he just would teach something, and one, one would just be the area. He would say, uh, by this will all men know you're my disciples if you have love one to another. It doesn't say if you get the right concept, if you get the right model. It says if you love each other, men will know. They'll just see the love of Christ flowing from a church. I've shared this with our staff. And it's just something that is deep in my heart. It doesn't leave me. A lot of people, John, what is your vision? What is your vision? And I'll just tell you what does not leave my heart just every day right now, that we can just learn to be loved by Jesus and we can love each other as he loves us. And that love will roll right out these doors out in these streets because his children love each other. Paul in Corinthians, he wrote this. Now, Paul is speaking here of, uh, to this church of Philippi, but here at Corinthians, he says, now I exhort you, brethren, 1 Corinthians 1.10, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, and that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He doesn't say I'm making a bunch of hot dogs all going out of the machine the same way. But he's saying what I'm speaking about is walking together in such a way of love that you value a relationship so deeply that you're willing to make a step toward your brother or sister and even to your neighbor. A step of love, a step of kindness. He gives probably one of the greatest challenging targets the church has ever seen as he's writing here about, about what he says here, when you conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, not letting the enemy detract you from this great goal, which is a sign of destruction for, you, for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. Here's a verse in Ephesians, a couple verses, chapter Four, verses one through six, Paul writes, and he just can't let this area go in the word of God. He just keeps bringing it back. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. And here's Paul just simply saying, now this is what I'm calling you to be, what I'm calling you to do. Several years ago, Deb and I had a friend here from China, a missionary friend. Her name was Wendy, her American name. Wendy had never been in an American church till she walked through the doors of Calvary Chapel Surprise. All she ever knew was a house church that was worshiping in secret and persecution. And she came and did some work at GCU and then came and spent several days with us. We didn't announce that. You can't do that because you want to protect her at that time. But I'll never forget what happened. Wendy's a 50-year-old woman. She's single. She loves the Lord. She does ministry in the southern part of China in amazing ways, working in the medical field primarily with all kinds of people, blessing, helping them to see the Lord Jesus. And Wendy walked through the doors of the church with Deb and I, and she turned to us, and she just said, I sense Jesus here. That's enough for me. That's enough. When she said that, she had never seen this before, but it wasn't what she saw. It's what she sensed in her heart. And this is what Paul is teaching here. Because love goes beyond words. It goes beyond actions. It, it goes into that which Wendy just sensed. And as she left, she said, you're so blessed to be able to be in that church. I don't even know. I don't know if I was an elder yet, even at that time. I just remember the words of that dear woman and how much it spoke to me. And Paul here is just giving us great, great challenge to the church of Philippi. Ecclesiastes 4.12 has an interesting phrase, and it says, if, if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. So he says, if you have someone, if you're not an island by yourself, you have two, like, just like you have a friend to be with, you two can resist. But then the writer of Ecclesiastes, probably Solomon, says a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. And all of a sudden he says, oh, by the way, there's a third strand. It's just like a rope. When you break the cord of three strands together, who is the third strand? Jesus, the Spirit of God. When the third strand comes into the link, the strength is amazing what happens. And this is why Paul, he knew the church of Philippi would be buffeted. He knew there would be great, great trials. They would be tested in so many ways. But he's saying, I want you to come together in Christ, bonded together through the Spirit of God, developing relationships because a threefold cord will never be quickly broken. It's an amazing truth of the Word of God. When two become one, you know, many of us here have just enjoyed uh, going through the marriage, experiencing marriages, even seeing God work through marriage, and we stand in awe how could that couple be so young and so happy? But God has brought them in Christ together to look in their eyes so often, right there as a pastor marrying them, and they're sparkling, they're ready to go. But he says, but when the Holy Spirit becomes a part of that union, it becomes so strong. It's just like a Christian marriage. We can have a lot of ideals, a lot of philosophies, but when Jesus is the center of the home, the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, the strength of that home because becomes a living testimony everywhere you go. And this is what Paul was driving at as he was writing to these people. He goes, I want you to see this. I want to, you to see the strength. I want you to recognize, yes, there's two of you. There's a little church of 30 or 40 or 50 of you. But when you're one in Christ, you're strong. You're really strong nothing's going to come in there when the Spirit of God is moving among the church and within our hearts. And he says a three-four cold is not quickly broken. 
Many years ago, I read a story that has lingered over the years with me that took place in America where a father got into an argument with his son, and the son took off, and he left home. And as he walked out the door, and the last words of the argument to his dad was, I'll never come back unless you call for me. And the years went by. He never came back. The years went by until the day came that that mother was dying. And the dad got beside mom and says, Is you, do you have any request yet before you die? And mom says, yes, one request. Bring home my son. So the dad wrote the letter. The son got the letter. And the son said, I will come home because he's requested. And he got there shortly before mom passed, the story said. And mom was laying in bed and she asked the son to put her, his hand in one of her hands and she asked the father, her husband, to put the hand in the other hand. And as she laid there, she did one last thing in her life. She brought the two hands together. And as she did that, she passed away. You know, that's what Jesus does for us through the cross of Christ that could call, cause Paul to cry out for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. It was Jesus who brought us to the Father through one sacrifice for sin forever. One act. And now Paul is telling the Philippian church, walk together. Because Jesus makes it possible. So then when you look at this, where Paul says, for me to live as Christ, I can do it because of Jesus. I can't do it without Jesus. I don't have the ability, but he's saying, make the choices to go where he calls you to go. And as you look at the last part of this, it's kind of interesting as he closes this chapter. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And you notice something that Paul is saying? Look at, the, look at what he's saying. You have been given this privilege to suffer for his sake. Where God calls you to suffer, it is a glorious privilege. It is a blessing. It's a hidden disguise of blessing. I've wondered sometimes if when we get to heaven and the Lord would show us his grand scheme and we look back, God, where did I really grow? I wonder if God won't show me that the places you really grew is where you really suffered. And when you stop suffering, you just didn't grow the same. You know, it says of the apostles in, in Acts 5 and 41 that they were persecuted for Christ's sake and they were driven from the presence of the council and they were beaten and said, don't ever, ever speak the word of God again. And it says when they got done, they just rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. They said, what a privilege to be a child of God and suffer for the sake of Jesus. And this is what Paul is saying. For you at Philippi, you don't know where you're going. You don't know what you're going to face yet. You don't know all the obstacles and trials and testings that are going to come. They're going to come in weird ways, odd ways, unexplainable ways. But Philippi, remember this. You have been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Philippi, you saw me suffer. Now rejoice when God calls you to suffer. Look around a little bit. I guess if you're younger here, I share it this way. Just look in the spirit and ask God to show you someone who's suffering for Christ's sake and he'll show you. He'll show you. Some of you have suffered quietly. I've been amazed right here this morning that some of you who have went through things and I've never heard a word of I wonder why you have just suffered for his sake. God bless you. Sometimes it's been in the body. Other times it's been in the spirit. And Paul says this. He says, you, Philippi, have been given the privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. To rejoice in that. And notice that experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. And he's saying, what you saw, you're going to experience. You see, what he's teaching here is something really profound but very important. 
And that is the clock of suffering and the wheel of suffering escapes no one. Not if you're a child of God. The word of God says all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You say, but how can I do it? I remember when I was a young guy, I would get wrapped up in that. But Lord, when it comes, what if Russia was invading? This was coming. What if we lose this or that or this or that? And all I come back to today is one beautiful truth that Paul started with in this epistle this morning that I say latch on to regardless of what, where God takes you. Hold this tight in your heart. Believe it. Don't let go no matter where he takes you in your Christian life. And that is when he said, but for me to live is Christ. That's the purpose. The strength to endure the suffering is Jesus. To die is gain. When I live, it's in Jesus. When I die, it's gain. And whichever way God wants it, he'll give me the strength to do it. He'll give me the power to endure it. He'll give me the strength, the power, the vision, the heart, and it'll be a, the most wonderful privilege that I could ever do. You can't say that unless you come back and embrace that. We can never embrace suffering unless we can come back to that place that we can just simply say, Lord, it's because of you I live. I am your offering. I might not be in a, a Philippian prison. I might not be in an American prison, but maybe as I look, God has me at places that he's doing a work that he wants to fulfill in a more powerful way for someone else. You know what so Paul said? You saw it in me. Others are watching Paul. They witnessed it when he was at Philippi. He went to prison at Philippi. That was where the Philippian jailer was converted. But now Paul's saying, you saw it. You watched it. Now you live it. And God will do amazing things. You know, the word of God is so amazing how it just, uh, no matter where you go, one of the things that the Lord has, has taught me over the years is the word of God is just amazingly relevant. It just speaks to you wherever you're at. You open it up. It just keeps on coming where you're at. When we get done with an area, I'll think, okay, here's the next series of passages. But, but one of the beauties of God's word that we just uh, want to encourage us is in these special times God calls you to keep the word of God close to your heart. Love it. Live it. Read it. Pray over it. Because God will be there. And that strength to be able to cry out that Lord, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain comes because of that which comes to the word of God. The strength to go on, the strength to serve Christ in the day and age in which we're living. Maybe there's someone here this morning, and I don't know who God knows, that you cannot say that today. You can't. You've tried. You cannot say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if that is you, if God has spoken to your heart this morning, and that is you, and said, Lord, I don't know whether I can say that yet. Today is the day to say it by faith. Lord, I'm going to believe it. I may not feel it. I may not understand it. I may not even be able to explain it. But because your word says it, I will confess that to you. I will ask you to come into my heart to change my life to do a work that I cannot do so I can be like Paul someday, that it can be about you and about others and about blessing and about giving and even about rejoicing and suffering like Paul went through. And if there's others here that uh, maybe you're like me, you say, wow, that, that word just kind of comes back and catches me in a lot of corners that I hadn't read and thought about for quite a while. And if that's you, uh, Today's the day to come back and say, Lord, here I am. I want your sufficiency in every way. I want your power. I need you completely to lead me and guide me and give me that power to live unselfishly like Paul. That my first thought is someone else. My first heart desire is to bless and to assist and to love. Give me that grace, Lord, and God will do a work. He'll do it work. He just longs for it to be done. I'm sure at Philippi, as they read that letter, 
as beautiful as that church was, there's someone that would have read that and go, wow, I needed that. And that's what the word is. It's just a big, wow, I needed that. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of that which you have given to teach us and to guide us and lead us. Lord, we recognize that without you, we're nothing. We realize that with you, we can do everything. But Lord, you need, we need to be reminded again and again and again, as you so blessedly do through your word, that you are sufficient for all things, that you will be there every step of the way, that even with our brother Paul, that you raise up those that truly give and love and care. Oh God, help us to be those people. And Lord, if there is anyone here this morning that cannot pray that prayer, oh Father, they know who they are. You know who they are. If they cannot pray, oh Lord, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, oh today can that be their prayer as they confess you as the Lord and Savior of their life. The one true God, the only God, and Jesus Christ, our Savior. Give them that strength to do that today, Lord. Give them that power to be an overcomer as they come to the cross and surrender their life to you as a child of God. And oh, Father, we thank you again for your continual care, even of this church during this time. Lord, you are the head of the church. You are the strength we look to you are the guide and shepherd and bishop of our souls. We want to follow you faithfully until you come again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.